be reading from Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You may be seated. Thanks for reading, Stephen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't already have them open, uh, we will um, continue on in our study through the book of Ephesians. We uh, took a bit of a break as Joni and I welcomed Ellen Rose into the world, and so really thankful for. Randy and Brad and Derek for uh, leading us um, preaching for us. And anyway, we will continue on in our Ephesians series, and Lord willing, we'll wrap that up this month. Uh, but since we've been out of it for a few weeks, I thought it would be good to just refresh us where we've come from. You may remember Ephesians, you can divide it into two parts conveniently. Um, chapters 1 through 3, Paul is really helping us to see what God has done in Christ in saving us and in saving a people. And then in chapters 4 through 6, Paul is helping us to see the implications of what God has done in Christ for us, what, what we are called to do as children of God. And so in chapter 1, Paul laid out God's glorious plan of redemption. He said that we've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then chapter 2, Paul showed us exactly how we've received that. It's by grace through faith, and not just for individuals, but for a church. God's building a people, His body. And then in chapter 3, we looked at how the church reveals God's mystery to the world. God, the church reveals God's glorious plan to the world. 
And then Paul's prayer for spiritual maturity. And then in chapter 4, we transition then to look at, okay, what, what does all that mean for us? And we saw that, that God has given us the church as a means of growing into maturity. And then the last part of chapter 4, we saw that because of our union with Christ, we must take off the old self, we must say no to sin, and we must put on the new self. We must say yes to God. We do that daily. And today we continue that same theme in chapter 5. Our union with Christ transforms the way that we live. So our passage this morning, it, it begins by telling us to be imitators of God. And I wonder if you've ever thought about the difference between imitation and impersonation. They're pretty close, but I would suggest that there's a pretty significant difference between the two. Imitation is trying to be like someone else, and impersonation is pretending to be someone else. So imitation, you're, you're trying to be like someone else, but you're still yourself. You're just trying to be more like someone else. Impersonation, you're actually trying to pretend to be someone entirely different. And so growing up, I, I played sports, and I had my sports heroes, and wanted to be like those guys that I was watching on Saturday and Sunday afternoon. And so when I would go to practice the following week, I would try to be like them. I would try to imitate certain aspects of their uh, game into to my own experience. Children do this all the time. They see mom and dad do something, and they want to be like mom and dad, and so they imitate mom and dad. Whether that's good or bad, that can be dependent. But usually when we think about imitation, we, we think that, that that's a good thing. And in fact, it, it can even be a form of flattery. Someone says, hey, I want to be like you. You're, you're really hospitable. I want to be more like you and, and, and be more hospitable. That, that's a flattering thing. But when we think about impersonation, that's a little bit more sinister. In fact, most states even have laws against impersonation. You pretend to be someone else and try to open a bank account under someone else's name and identity, you, you're going to get in trouble for that. Because that's not who you are. You're an imposter. And so I stress this difference between imitation and impersonation because I think it really helps us understand what, what Paul's getting at here in our passage this morning. Because the reality that we've been trying to see is that in Christ, God has adopted us into his family. And, and the reality of that adoption then means that we begin to look like we belong to God's family. So we begin to look like God. We begin to talk like God. Why? Well, because we are children. And so Paul will go on to say that if we aren't looking like God, it may very well be because we are trying to impersonate. We're, we're trying to pretend to be something that we're not. And so that's why it's important for us to think about our lives and, and how we're living. 
the heart of a child of God says, I want to be like my heavenly father, not I want to be my heavenly father. I hope you see that difference. And so as we endeavor to to look at our spiritual growth, I see two dangers before we even begin. And I want to bring them to our attention. The first danger is the danger of neglecting our adoption. We may be prone to presume on God's kindness and therefore not really care how we live our lives. We don't really care if we're actually looking like our Heavenly Father. And so if you find yourself there that, this morning, I, I hope this passage will be a bit of a wake-up call to you. The other danger is we may be doubting our adoption. And so you, you might be prone to think, how could God possibly love me? You may see yourself as, as a stepchild, as it were, as an illegitimate child. And so you, you may be prone to, to doubt your adoption and, and you may be trying to work really hard to get your Heavenly Father's approval. And if that's you this morning, then I, I pray that you would realize that your identity is as a beloved child. And so we don't work to earn God's favor, but we, we work to be more like God because of what He's done for us. And so our passage this morning is divided into three sections. So if you're taking notes, these will be what guide our time. The first is you are to walk in love. The second is you are to walk in light. And thirdly, we'll look at you are to walk in wisdom. And in each of these, you and I are we're called to imitate Christ. And so as we imitate Christ by walking in love and light and wisdom, I pray that we would do so as beloved children. But before we jump into our passage, let me pray and ask for God's help. Father, we come before you this morning at the end of a long week. Lord, where we have faced various challenges and hardships. Lord, we've had great moments of joy throughout the week, but Lord, we know that it has been challenging as well. And Father, I pray as we come now to open your word that you would calm our minds and our hearts. Father, if we are prone to neglecting our adoption, if we're prone to doubting our adoption, Father, I pray that you would meet us here this morning and by your Spirit, Lord, you would preach this message to our hearts. Father, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So first, you are to walk in love. Love is a word that we talk about all the time. We hear it on the news. We see it on social media. Love is rarely ever defined. It's just kind of tossed around. Earlier this summer, Joni and I were going for a walk, and I remember seeing a sign in a neighbor's yard, and it said, love is love. And I thought, well, that's a useless sign. That means nothing. Love is love. It's a good sign for illustrating postmodernism, but 
It's a terrible sign in actually defining love. Love is love, but is that not the spirit of our age? And Paul says we are to walk in love. Thankfully, God is clearer than that sign. Paul defines love for us this morning. And he says, he defines love in verse 2. He says, and walk in love. And, And immediately, look what he does. He says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There are two things that, that go into Paul's definition of love. First, that uh, Paul says, Christ. Christ is our example. And, and what does Christ do? Well, first he says, Christ gave himself up for us. So Paul is letting us know that, that Christ lived a life that was focused on others. It's focused on the good of other people. And Mark 10.45 says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is the first part of of our definition of love this morning, is that love is others-focused. The second part is that Christ offered himself as a sacrifice to God. And so Jesus was concerned primarily about doing the will of the Father. That's why in John chapter 5, verse 36, Jesus says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus was concerned about his Father's will. In fact, that's what he did his entire life was his Father's will. So that is the second part of our definition of love, is love is God-centered. So we put those two things together. What does it mean to walk in love? It means to be God-centered in our lives and others-focused. So when Paul tells us to be imitators of God, he's helping us see to, to be an imitator of Christ who gave himself up for others and as a sacrifice to God. That is our standard, is how God loves. And this is exactly why in verses 3 through 5, Paul jumps right into calling out specific sins. Because love is first God-centered. And because it's God-centered, that means love actually rejects certain patterns of behavior. And you can see he, in verse 3, he highlights two, sexual immorality and greed. God gave intimacy for marriage, and anything outside of that crosses the bounds. Paul says we're to avoid those things, both mentally and physically. And notice Paul's aiming at our hearts there. That all impurity. God is concerned with our hearts. And then Paul moves to to say covetousness, or some translations may say greed. They're getting at the same thing. I like how one commentator defined greed. He says, those greedier 
they have a strong desire to acquire and keep for themselves more and more money and possessions because they love, trust, and obey wealth rather than God. And it's not just wealth that we can be greedy for, but it may be power or it may be to be well-liked. We can be greedy or covetousness for, for all kinds of things. And so an effort to, to get what we want, oftentimes we, we use our words. And so that's exactly why Paul puts certain parameters around our words. If you remember back to chapter 4, verse 29, Paul says, Let no corrupt talking come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, so that it may give grace to those who hear. So back in chapter 4, he kind of gives the, the positive of what our speech is supposed to do. It's supposed to build up. It's supposed to give grace to others. And now here he's telling us negatively what our speech is not supposed to consist of. Foolish talk. And so... How do we know when our speech crosses the line? Especially when our joking crosses the line? Well, if someone else's sin is, is our punchline, you can be pretty sure that our joking is, is crossed into crude joking. That's not to be how the children of God speak to one another, or speak to anyone for that matter. Instead, Paul says, thanksgiving is to characterize our speech. Why? Because we are beloved children. And as children, we are needy, and everything that we have comes from God. It, it's all a gift. And so we're to be thankful in all things. But I want to ask another question. Why, why is it that Paul zooms in on these specific sins? Because you see, sexual immorality and greed and sinful speech, they're actually antithetical to, to what Paul has already told us is love. You see, in each of those sins, they're all about pleasing you. They're all about using other people for your own gratification. And so rather than actually being sacrificial, you're, you're self-serving. You're selfish in your actions and in your speech. And these sins in particular, they, they have no regard for others. They're not actually concerned with the well-being of other people. They are not how Jesus loved. Rather than giving, they're concerned with taking And so, self is at the center of these things. And so it violates fundamentally the Bible's definition of love because it, it's not God-centered and it's not others-focused. And so think about the people in your own life. Yes, even those people that are frustrating and hard to deal with. To walk in love is to, to look at those people and say, how can I serve them? God has put them in my life for a reason. How can I show them the love of Christ? How can I honor God and seek their good? Remember, we do this because this is what Christ has done for us in the gospel. 
We are now a beloved child, and so we want to follow the example of Christ, and we want to love God, and we want to love others just the way that we see Christ did. We also imitate Christ by walking in light. And that is Paul's second point. You are to walk in light. He says in verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them. The them is the sons of disobedience in verse 6. And if you recall back in chapter 2, we, we looked at the sons of disobedience. They're those who follow the prince of the power of the air. They're those who are still lost in their sin. And Paul says, don't be partners with them. Paul says, don't, don't join yourself to that worldview and that value system that is opposed to God. Why? Because that's who you once were. But now you are light in the Lord. This is always the pattern in the Bible, is do this or don't do that because of what God has already done in you. We walk in the light because God has brought us to the light. He has made us the light in the Lord. And so it is important as we look and think about this passage, we could all think of ways that we are falling short of God's standard. And those are things that we should confess and turn from, but we must remember that, that Paul's not talking about a, a struggling saint here. He's talking about those who are still lost in their sin. And so there may be some of you here this morning, or you, you may have a, a friend or a relative that, that you're walking through that they're really battling with a particular issue. And they may hear these words, and again, they may be prone to doubt their adoption. But the point is that a believer is battling their sin. They are not giving into it. They're not surrendering wholesale to sin. They are still struggling. They're still battling. That's what Paul's getting at here. And so he says, don't partner with them. He means don't, don't surrender to sin and just give up. But keep battling, keep pressing on, keep trusting Christ. And so if that is you, this morning you are struggling, then hear God's word. You are light in the Lord. Sin no longer has a death grip on you. God in Christ has overcome that which you couldn't overcome. Don't look to your own strength to fight sin. Look to God. Walk in the light as beloved children. Jesus says in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so if we have been brought to the light, we, we have the light of life within us, that means we will walk in that which is good and right and true. The, that is, the, the Holy Spirit has now sealed us, He indwells us, and He's working. He's making us like Christ. He's conforming us to the image of Christ. And so He's producing within us that which is good and right and true. And Paul says that we are to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
So there are things, as we've seen in our passage today, that the Scripture clearly forbids. There are those issues that are black and white. And then those, there are issues that are matters of wisdom. Things are less clear. What does it mean to be a child of God and taking a new job, for example? These things call for, for Christian wisdom, and Paul tells us to discern what the will of the Lord is. So we ask the, the big question, well, how do we do that? How do we discern God's will? Well, I'll give you a secret. God gave you a, a big book that tells you exactly what his will is. So the easiest way to know the will of God is, is to study his word every day. To know the things that God loves and to know the things that God hates. And then to, to seek to love those things and to hate those things. To immerse yourself in God's word is the easiest way to, to discern the will of the Lord. But we are not just to walk in the light. We are not only called to, to produce that which is, which is good, right, and true. We are also called to expose darkness. So Paul says in chapter in verse 11, excuse me, to take part to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them. And then a little little later on he says anything is exposed by the light becomes visible. When anything is exposed by the light it becomes visible. And so that word visible means what you think it means. It means to to reveal something for what it really is. It's to, to pull back the curtain, as it were, and to really see something for all it's worth. And it is important for us to think as we think about being obedient to this charge to expose sin, that it's not us who expose sin, it, it's the light that exposes sin. That is to say, it is Christ fundamentally who exposes sin. And no doubt he does that by working in and through us, but we can't fall into the trap of thinking that, that we are the people who expose sin. No, it, it, it's Christ. He's the light. And it's the light that exposes the darkness. In verse 14, Paul quotes from uh, probably an, an early Christian liturgical device. We don't we don't know exactly what he's quoting from. We don't have it. It's lost somewhere in history. But uh, Paul's purpose in it, I think, is, is clear. And that, that's the point we ought to, to fix our minds on this morning. So he says in verse 14 that when anything that becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. So again, we have this contrast here within Paul of that which is darkness being visible and, and becoming light. And then he quotes from this early uh, Christian worship uh, liturgy. He says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so he says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's important that we see that in this context of exposing the works of darkness, Paul has in mind that we are 
bringing people to Christ. That is the goal, is we're not to fixate on specific actions, but rather we're, we're trying to help people who are in darkness see the light of the gospel. And so you think about an x-ray, this may help to solidify this point. I don't know if you've ever broken a bone or had x-rays. I've broken a number of bones and had a number of x-rays. And so with the x-ray, they take the picture of your bone. They're, they're trying to see something that's below the surface. They're trying to make visible something that isn't visible to our eyes, usually. And so they take a picture, and then they print it out, and sometimes it comes out in big pieces of paper that are kind of black, and if you were to hold it up against this dark wood table, you'd, you'd have a hard time actually seeing what is there beneath the surface. It isn't until that picture is then put on a light board with the light shining through it that you then actually see what's really there. The, the skeletal system has become visible and you can see where the break in the bones are or whatever the problem might be. And so that may feel, as we think about exposing sin, it can feel a bit like we're, we're trying to, to bring shame on someone because of their sin. But just as an x-ray is on the light board, reveals what's actually there, it also actually reveals the path forward for healing. It correctly identifies, hey, this is your problem, and then this is what you need to do to get better. Well, that's what Paul's getting at here. When we expose sin and we, we help people see it for, for what it really is, it then provides the opportunity for the light of the gospel to shine on that. And so that's what we are called to do when we walk in light. And walking in light is it's hard work. It's hard work to discern the will of the Lord and to to seek to do that which is good, right, and true, and to expose sin. But we trust as we do this that God will cause His light to shine on darkness and bring many to the light. And as we feel the weight of, of that hard work, we realize that oh, we need wisdom. We can't do this on our own. We need, we need God's help in this process. We need wisdom to imitate Christ by walking in the light. And that is Paul's next point. And we imitate Christ by walking in love and light and wisdom. So our final point is you are to walk in wisdom. Paul says in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Paul says we must look carefully how we walk. That look carefully is it's a call for an investigation. If you think about the Gospel of Luke, uh, some of you may know how Luke begins his Gospel. He's writing to a man named Theophilus, and he tells Theophilus exactly why he's writing the Gospel. So he says in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, it says, It seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke says to Theophilus, hey, I've followed things closely. 
That word closely is the same word in our passage today. Luke has investigated the facts. And that's what Paul's telling us to do. We're, We're to investigate our lives. We're to pay attention to how we're walking. Why? Well, because we're prone to trust ourselves. We're prone to lean on our own wisdom and not that of the Lord. And so we regularly investigate our lives and, and ask, how are we walking? Are we walking in wisdom? He says we're to make the, the best use of our time by paying attention to how we're living. It is worth mentioning here that uh, when he says the days are evil, to make the best use of our time, we shouldn't misunderstand that. Paul is not calling for us to retreat culturally. He's not calling for us to, to bring out the monasteries and for us to just go run in and hide because the days are evil. No, he's, he's telling us that we are to learn how to live wisely in this world that is still fallen. And so he says that we are not to get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And there has been a lot of debate over this verse. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. I think Paul is pretty clear. The prohibition is to not get drunk with wine. Paul does not say don't ever drink wine, but just to not get drunk with it. So we could get lost here kind of in the details of this and parse it out. Some people have, but I think we might miss the the larger point that Paul's calling us to is that we are not to be controlled by pointless things. You see, that word debauchery is very similar to the word prodigal that Randy helped us understand a couple weeks ago. It it has to do with a wasteful self-indulgence. And so getting drunk then is is that. It's it's wasteful self-indulgence. The wine then takes control of you and you're no longer acting, but something else is controlling your actions. And remember, Paul's told us in verse 6 that because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. He's, He's telling us that we're in a battle. And because we're in a battle, we're not to be controlled by pointless things. It's like standing in the battlefield, in the middle of the battlefield, doing nothing. Paul says, don't do that. Don't be controlled by pointless things. And so that means if you are spending your time getting drunk, then then stop doing that. Talk to someone. Ask for help. That is not advancing the kingdom. And yet, I suspect from most of us this morning... We might, not, we might need to be told to stop spending hours on your phone scrolling through social media and just seeing what the feed is saying. It may be, as college football season has started, that we don't need to be controlled by college game day on Saturday. Wake up at 10 a.m. and watch football from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. We aren't to be controlled by other things. We aren't to be controlled by binging on Netflix we could come up with 
countless ways that we can spend our time and if we really think carefully that time is rather controlling us or that thing is controlling us rather than us controlling it. Those examples that I mentioned, they're not in and of themselves sinful. There are ways to use those and participate in those that can honor the Lord. That's not the point. The point is to not be controlled by those things. So Paul says that we are to be filled then with the Spirit. And so we make the best use of our time by being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is different than being sealed with the Spirit. We learned in chapter 1 that when we are saved, we are then sealed with the Spirit. Paul says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So being sealed happens at conversion. You have the Holy Spirit now indwelling you, but being filled is something that happens ongoing throughout the life of a Christian. And so we, we pray for God to fill us with the Spirit daily, but we don't pray daily for God to, to seal us with the Spirit. If you're in Christ, you, you have that, and we want to be filled daily with the Spirit. And it is interesting where Paul ends this passage. Make the best use of the time. Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. And then addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul ends our passage by telling us to spend time together singing and praising God. In short, Paul's telling us you want to make the best use of your time. You want to regularly be filled with the Holy Spirit. Spend time praising God. Spend time praising God with His people. It's what we do here every Sunday. It's, what, it's why we have community groups throughout the week is, is to try to help build those patterns into our life where we are regularly praising God. And I love the emphasis Paul puts here on singing. In Bulgaria, we had um, a church member who was lived in a nursing home, and uh, one of her best friends lived in the nursing home, and he also was a, we would call him a regular attender at the church, not quite a member. Nevertheless, they were pretty faithful in their attendance in the church and involvement. And this older lady, uh, she, she is from Russia, and she grew up in the Soviet Union, grew up with a heart, was hard to the gospel, and in God's mercy, later in life, she came to be a believer. And then she ended up moving to Bulgaria and pretty late in her life. And her Bulgarian was about as good as, it's, it's better than ours, but, but not by much. So a lot of the things that she would say would be probably 60 to 70% Russian with you know 30 to 40% Bulgarian. You get the picture. We had a really hard time conversing with her. We loved her, and we, we loved trying, but always had a hard time figuring out where the punchline was in, in her jokes. 
We just waited for her to laugh and we would laugh with her and we longed for heaven to be able to understand her without the confusion of languages. And when COVID hit, the Bulgaria locked down all the nursing homes. And so the people that lived in nursing homes, they were not allowed to leave. And so for uh, March to whenever we left, they had not been able to be with God's people in worship. And so after a while, we uh, would pretty regularly go after church and we would go to the nursing home. We could stand on the other side of the fence and we would worship together. We would bring hymnals. And I didn't grow up with hymnals, and so I had to learn how to use a hymnal in Bulgaria. And as we would go bring her the hymnal, she would take it and she'd already shout out the numbers that she wanted. She knew the songs and spiritual songs that she wanted to sing with God's people. And there was so much conversation that we missed because of the language barrier. But there was so much that we understood as we sang praises to our God together. You see, singing and making melody to the Lord in our hearts, it really is much bigger than what we do right here, right now. That's what we'll spend an eternity doing, singing praises together to our God. And so you want to know how we make the best use of our time We worship God. Every day we worship God. And when we're with God's people, we address one another in hymns and spiritual songs, and we give thanks for what God's doing in us and among us. I pray that you would be filled with the Spirit. I pray that we would be a people known by others as those who love worshiping God together. What a great joy and privilege to be a child of God. Let us not doubt our adoption. Let us not take it for granted. Let us seek by faith to walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom. I'm going to transition now to communion. And as we do, we have the opportunity to remember just exactly how it is that we are beloved children. Matthew records the moment this way. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the many, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We are beloved children because Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed on our behalf for for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as we prepare to come to the table, if you're hoping and trusting in Christ, know that the table is open. And remember, as you take of the the bread and the juice, that Christ's body and blood was broken and shed for you. And that one day you will 
partake of this with all of God's people throughout all time. May we look forward to that day. If you are here and you're not hoping and trusting in Christ, then I would ask that you remain seated during this time. Instead, consider the things that we've talked about. If you would like to know more about what it means to follow Christ, you can talk to me or the person you came with. I'd be happy to talk more with you. Let's pray and then we can take communion. Father, we thank you. Father, that while we were yet sinners, Lord, you sent your son Christ to die for us. Father, to adopt us as beloved children. Father, I ask that you would help us as your people this week to understand who we are. Father, that you have made us your children. Lord, that you love us, that you provide for us, that you are guiding us. And Father, may you help us to imitate Christ. Father, would you give us opportunities this week to love others? Father, would you help us to walk in light, to be patient with those who are still walking in darkness? Would you give us wisdom, Lord, to know how to best use the time that you've given us? Father, whether we're students or colleagues, wherever you've called us, Father, would you help us to steward our time for you and your glory? Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.